Blog Talk Radio. Politicians from the 13 American colonies come together in this building, right here, to plot what turns out to be a revolution. A contentious Continental Congress needs to set forth some convincing reasons for declaring war. Congress turns to a brilliant 33-year-old aristocrat from Virginia, Thomas Jefferson. In a matter of days, the red-haired wonder writes one of the most celebrated manifestos for human freedom and self-government in the history of Western civilization. The Continental Congress authorizes Philadelphia printer John Dunlap to print 200 broadsides, poster-sized sheets. The document, unsigned, is then rushed to waiting horsemen who put it in their saddlebags and gallop throughout the colonies. See if this revolutionary war is to be won Thousands of farmers and tradesmen must be persuaded to take up arms and fight. And they do. And not many people realize it today, but scholars believe Jefferson intended for the Declaration to be performed and not just read. Its words and rhythms were written to be spoken in proud and defiant tones in grand public places. It's a safe bet that the Continental Congress never had in mind a performer like me. That is to say, a black man. Thomas Jefferson was not ignorant of the problem of slavery, of course. He called it a moral and political depravity. And in the original draft of the Declaration, denounced the slave trade as a cruel war against human nature itself. But Congress thought better of this particular item and deleted it. In fact, there was no mention of slavery or black people or of women, for that matter, in this preeminent statement on the equal rights of man. So it makes you wonder, how could a man who himself held slaves write with such incredible passion and eloquence about human liberation and the promise of a democratic republic? Why, some may ask, do I bring up such embarrassing truths on this glorious occasion? I answer, the real glory of the Declaration of Independence has been our nation's epic struggle throughout history to close the gap between the ideals of this remarkable document and the sometimes painful realities of American life. The Declaration symbolizes the birth of our nation, of course, but also the constant struggle to achieve its ideals. Consider, the words of this document inspired the French Revolution in 1789. 200 years later, the revolt of Chinese students in Tiananmen Square. It inspired Abraham Lincoln to issue the Emancipation Proclamation, Martin Luther King Jr. to fight for civil rights, and women's suffragettes to fight for the vote. This business of fulfilling the Declaration of Independence is a difficult struggle, but it is also an ennobling struggle. Jefferson called the Declaration an expression of the American mind. It is why this nation is so great and why I am so proud to be an American. Here now are those sentiments as first expressed in this very place. When, in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them. 
a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. Laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let that be submitted to a candid world. He has refused his assent to laws the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance, unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable only to tyrants. He has called together legislative bodies of places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected, whereby the legislative powers incapable of annihilation have returned to the people at large for their exercise. The state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states, for that purpose, obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriations of land. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislature. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. For quartering large bodies of armed troops among us. For protecting them by a mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states. For cutting off our trade with all parts of the world for imposing taxes on us without our consent. For depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument 
for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies. For taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our government. For suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has advocated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is, at this time, transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny, already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy, scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages, and totally unworthy of the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country, to become the executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity. And we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They, too, have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. We must, therefore, acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them, as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are, and of right, ought to be free and independent states. That they are absolved from all allegiance to the British Crown. And that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is, and ought to be, totally dissolved. And that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Isn't that something? Welcome, everybody, to the C. Robert Jones Conservative Conservative Report for Thursday, April the 5th. Well, 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 here we are again. <clears throat> Doc Jones is on vacation. I am Cool Mike, and tonight's topic is going to be a very, very good one. However, the most important thing for this evening is to uh, give our dedication and loving memory of Lieutenant Corporal Christopher Ramos of the United States Marine Corps. I picked him because um, Dr. Jones, whom I'm in for, is a retired Marine, 26 of Albuquerque, New Mexico, assigned to the 1st Battalion, 5th Marines Division, and the 1st Marine Division Ex Expeditionary Force. He was stationed at Camp Pendleton. He was killed in the Anbar province of Iraq 
along with five other um five other uh, of his fellow brothers by hostile fire all righty i also have his link posted in the description is there a better judge on our american soil than andrew napolitano is there is there a stronger speaker for democracy freedom liberties human rights than andrew napolitano the judge of judges is there a better standard for what a true american judge should be measured than judge andrew napolitano is there anyone more qualified to be a supreme court or to sit on the supreme court than judge andrew napolitano is he in fact the judge of judges and the and the freedom the judge of freedom is he a freedom fighter as we see day in and day out now that his show was canceled, he is a guest and he continues to speak for freedom. Well, today I'm going to play a lot of clips from Judge Andrew, Judge Andrew Napolitano, who is used to have the show Freedom Watch on Fox. Wonder what happened to that? <laughs> well, anyway, he showed some support for Ron Paul and uh, ended up getting booted. Uh, last time I checked, most anyone on any station, uh, ABC, NBC, uh, they seem to really like President Obama. Uh, Fox, so obviously, some reason or another, someone at Fox didn't like the judge, and they didn't like Ron Paul, so he got canned. But anyway, uh, I really like Judge Napolitano. He is the voice of freedom. And I thought yesterday is a great time to uh, basically tribute our troops and in a lot of ways, I wanted to give a tribute to the judge because not only is his show very good, but he really is a voice of democracy. Um, this even stems back uh, to when George Bush and Al Gore were fighting the uh, election in court. Many times he said, uh, you know, that this is going to go has to go this way because of this precedence. If this judge rules according to its state constitution or the United States Constitution when they were talking at the federal level, this is what the individu individual should uh, should decide simply because it was so clear-cut. And that's one of the reasons I really like the judge. He, he just tells it like it is, and he's just simply, simply awesome. Well, anyway, I'm going to actually uh, – I'll do, I'll do today in history in a little bit. I really wanted to play this clip because this was I, instead of closing the show with this, I want to play this now. This was his final farewell when they mentioned to him that the show was going to get canceled. Um, that's got to be tough, you know, to, to actually do your last show knowing it's end of the road. But anyway, this is how classy he is. Here is the judge. Well, switching gears and Does the government work for us or do we work for the government? Is the best government really the one that governs the least? Can we ever have a government that stays within the confines of the Constitution? If the Constitution was written to keep the government off the people's backs, why is the government all over us? Tonight, whatever happened to freedom? Understanding where we go from here should start with understanding how we got here. We are the free and independent people of the United States of America. We are free because those who preceded us fought a war against a person who was then the world's grandest king and who presided over what was then the world's grandest empire. The Founding Fathers risked, as they like to tell us, their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honors for the freedom and independence they won and we have inherited. But they were not saints, and initially their cause was not popular. From the records available today, the people who measure historical trends have concluded that in 1776, only about one-third of Americans supported the revolution. 
About one-third of Americans opposed it, and about one-third of them didn't care. When I first looked at these numbers, I thought, in 1776, this was the grandest fight for the greatest amount of freedom for the most people at any point in history. So who could possibly oppose it? And who in their right mind could not care? Fast forward to today and ask, who could possibly support a government that regulates everything from the strength of the water pressure in your shower to the size of the toilet bowl in your home to the thickness of the leather in your shoes? Who could want a government that punishes people for speech, that lets its own agents write their own search warrants, that fights wars just to keep the military-industrial complex busy, that debases all you own by printing worthless money and putting it into the stream of commerce, that gives away more than half the tax dollars it collects, and that, despite express provisions in the Constitution to the contrary, permits the president to lock up whoever he wants and to throw away the key. Perhaps the colonists who didn't care if they freely chose their government or were cared for by a benevolent tyrant had an odd way of knowing what was coming. Perhaps those who opposed the revolution were afraid to take on the king, to challenge authority, and to risk their comfortable lives for the unknown. Well, we all know what happened. A relatively small part of the population pushed the culture and society toward freedom. And the freedoms that they chose were pure. I mean, after we won the revolution and wrote the Constitution, the new government and the political class assured all Americans that they could think as they wished and say what they thought and publish what they said, that they could associate or not associate with anyone. They could worship as they chose or choose not to worship. They could defend themselves with guns even against tyrants, that troops would never enter their homes, that only neutral judges would issue search warrants, and that the government could not take their lives, their freedom, or their property without a trial at which their fault would be proven in front of a neutral jury. All this was guaranteed to the first generation of Americans and to their posterity. That would be us, because much of it had been denied, denied them by the king and the parliament, and because Americans came to believe, even the one-third that were afraid and the one-third that didn't care, that these rights are ours, by virtue of our humanity. Whether you believe that we are the highest order of natural selection, or whether you believe as I do, that we were created by God in his image and likeness, you know in your heart that these natural yearnings, as St. Thomas Aquinas and Thomas Jefferson called them, are our natural rights, are a part of our humanity, and cannot long be denied us. And yet, they have been denied. The same founding fathers who wrote that Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech, in fact, enacted the Alien and Sedition Acts, which punished speech that was critical of them, critical of the government. This happened because people were afraid to challenge the tyranny of the majority. America, the greatest losses to our freedom have come not from someone attacking us, but from the government ignoring the Constitution and the majority letting them get away with it. The worst amendments to the Constitution were not those ratified by the states, but rather were amendments by consensus, where all three branches of government agreed to look the other way. When good people do nothing, bad things happen. So what shall we do? We should challenge authority, no matter who is in charge. We should challenge the majority whenever it curtails anybody's freedom. We should side with freedom, no matter what the government says. We should vote out of office those who push the government outside the Constitution, no matter what earmarks they just brought home. And we should make the government afraid of us. Afraid of us. Because as Jefferson reminded us, when the people fear the government, there is tyranny. But when the government fears the people, there is liberty. From New York, defending freedom. Everybody's freedom, whenever I can. So long, America. How cool is that guy? That is Judge Andrew Napolitano. So, 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 so true. The judge of judge, judges. Wow. I mean, that's just, that's absolutely terrific. He is, he speaks from the heart, and he speaks from liberty. Like Liberty Sun. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I, I really like Judge Napolitano, not not just in in his speech. He also he speaks in such layperson terms. Uh, 
Um, a lot of times, and I, I've said this throughout the, the shows, uh, a lot of times people get really good guests on their show, and it's almost as if in many, many ways d- nobody can understand what the person's saying. Not because they're an idiot, but they just can't speak in layperson terms. And <laughs> it just makes it very difficult to really think, wow, that guest is awesome. Because although you know the person is uh, a constitutionalist and they're fairly conservative, you, you really don't understand what they said. Unlike Judge Napolitano, who in his last show, that had to have been a tough, tough uh, speech to give considering it was his last um, uh, his last speech before they uh, canceled, canceled his show. But anyway, let's see. ...in a process that validates an establishment that never meaningfully changes. What if that establishment doesn't want and doesn't have the consent of the governed? What if the two-party system was actually a mechanism used to limit so-called public opinion? What if there were more than two sides to every issue, but the two parties wanted to box you into a corner, one of their corners? What if there's no such thing as public opinion, because every thinking person has opinions that are uniquely his own? What if what we call public opinion was just a manufactured narrative that makes it easier to convince people that if their views are different, then there's something wrong with that or there's something wrong with them? What if the whole purpose of the Democratic and Republican parties was not to expand voters' choices, but to limit them? What if the widely perceived differences between the two parties was just an illusion? What if the heart of the government policy remains the same no matter who's in the White House? What if the heart of government policy remains the same no matter what the people want? What if those vaunted differences between Democrat and Republican were actually just minor disagreements? What if both parties just want power and are willing to have young people fight meaningless wars in order to enhance that power? What if both parties continue to fight the war on drugs just to give bureaucrats and cops bigger budgets and more jobs? What if government policies didn't change when government leaders did? What if no matter who won an election, government stayed the same? What if government was really a revolving door for political hacks bent on exploiting the people once they're in charge? What if both parties supported welfare, war, debt, bailouts, and big government? What if the rhetoric that candidates displayed on the campaign trail was dumped after electoral victory? What if Barack Obama campaigned as an anti-war, pro-civil liberties candidate and then waged senseless wars while assaulting your rights that the Constitution is supposed to protect? What if George W. Bush campaigned on a platform of non-intervention and small government and then waged a foreign policy of muscular military intervention and a domestic policy of vast government borrowing and growth? What if Bill Clinton declared that the era of big government was over but actually just convince Republicans like Newt Gingrich that they can get what they want out of big government, too. What if the Republicans went along with it? What if Ronald Reagan spent six years running for president, promising to shrink the government, but then the government grew while he was in the White House? What if, notwithstanding Reagan's ideas and cheerfulness and libertarian rhetoric, there really was no Reagan revolution at all? What if all this is happening again? What if Rick Santorum is being embraced by voters who want small government, even though Senator Santorum voted for the Patriot Act, for an expansion of Medicare, and for raising the debt ceiling by trillions of dollars? What if Mitt Romney is being embraced by voters who want anyone but Barack Obama, but they don't realize that Mitt Romney might as well be Barack Obama on everything from warfare to welfare? What if Ron Paul is being ignored by the media, not because, as it claims, he's unappealing or unelectable, but because he doesn't fit into the pre-manufactured public opinion mold used by the establishment to pigeonhole the electorate and create the so-called narrative that drives media coverage of elections? What if the biggest difference between most candidates was not substance, but style? What if those stylistic differences were packaged as substantive ones to reinforce the illusion of a difference between Democrats and Republicans? What if Mitt Mitt Romney wins and ends up continuing most of the same policies that Barack Obama promoted? What if Barack Obama's policies, too, are merely extensions of those from George W. Bush? What if a government that manipulated us could be fired? 
What if a government that lacked the true and knowing consent of the governed could be dismissed? What if it were possible to have a real game changer? What if we need a Ron Paul to preserve and protect our freedoms from the government? What if we can make elections matter again? What if we could do something about this? From New York, defending freedom every night of the week. Andrew Napolitano, he is, what can you say about him? I mean, does that not just tell it all? Absolutely everything. What if, what if, what if, but it's all, it's all right on the money. I mean, just, he is, he is just so, oh man, just so with it. The judge and his show got canceled because, uh, I think he likes Ron Paul too much. What does it uh <laughs> what does it mean to be an American? Well, we're gonna take a break and we'll be right back and in the meantime, uh actually I wanted to uh play this song. Um it was the uh I didn't get a chance to play it yesterday obviously because of the um uh oh shoot. Anyway, let me do today in history and I'll do a song. I'll then I will play a song. March 26, 19... Yeah, wrong one. That was March 26. <laughs> Imagine if your family was awakened in the middle of the night by a team of federal officers. Well, that's exactly what happened to a woman and her children in Granville County. Amanda Lambert is in the newsroom joining us now. And Amanda, we understand that because this case falls under the Patriot Act, a lot of the usual rights for defendants not available here. That's right, David. The Patriot Act was created after 9-11. It allows federal agents to investigate suspected cases of terrorism swiftly in order to better protect our country. But one Granville County mother says it gives the federal government too much leeway. Her son was taken into federal custody two months ago. She can't get him out, and she can't get any answers. 16-year-old Ashton Lundeby's bedroom is nothing if not patriotic. American flags everywhere. But according to the United States government, this 10th grader who has never been in trouble with the law before is now a suspected terrorist. I was terrified. There were guns, and I don't like guns around my children. I don't believe in guns. On March 5th, around 10 o'clock in the evening, Annette Lundeby says 10 armed FBI agents, along with three local officers, stormed her home looking for her son. They handcuffed him and presented her with a search warrant. They said that he was being arrested for um, making numerous bomb threats. Annette Lundeby told the officers that someone stole her son's IP address and used it to make crank calls through the Internet, making it look like the calls had originated from her home. She says the FBI's extensive search of her home turned up nothing. No bomb-making materials, not even a blasting cap, not even a wire, not even... I mean, I don't even know how to make bombs, but they didn't find anything. The teenager was taken to a juvenile facility in Indiana, the bomb threat was supposedly made. His mother has had little access to him since his arrest. She says the Patriot Act stripped her son of his right to due process. And we have no rights under the Patriot Act to even defend them because the Patriot Act supersedes, basically, is superseding the Constitution. There's nothing a matter of public record. All those normal rights are just suspended in the air. Dan Boyce is a former U.S. attorney. It's a new law, and I'm sure there were very, very good intentions. But Boyce believes the Patriot Act has gone too far in some cases, and Ashton Lundeby's may just be one of them. It very well could be a case of overreaction where uh, an agent leapt to certain conclusions or has made certain assumptions about this individual and about how serious the threat really is. Because there is a gag order in the case, the U.S. attorney in Indiana told us he could not comment, nor could the FBI. The North Carolina Highway Patrol did confirm they assisted the FBI with its operation at the Lundeby home on March 5th. Never in my worst nightmare did I ever think that it would, have, it would be my own government that I would have to protect my children from. 
this is this is the United States, and I feel like I live in a third world country now. Lundeby says this type of case is not what the Patriot Act was intended for. Voice agrees. It was to protect the public, but what what we need to do is make sure there are checks and balances to make sure those new laws are not abused. Know that they can come and take anyone in your family away, even your children. And they don't have to be guilty. Lundeby says her son is scheduled to have a hearing at the end of May, but she is not hopeful it will happen because the date has already been moved multiple times. And we will continue to follow this story. David. Amanda Lamb, thank you. Well, that's the way they do it, of course. They arrest you and they spend you half to death. Most citizens like us can't afford to keep fighting the federal government. Delays, delays, delays. We have to pay attorneys. We have to defend ourselves because obviously the attorneys that they uh, they hire to defend us are on their payroll. Just imagine if you were wanted by the mob and <laughs> one of the uh, one of the people in the guard, one of the made men in that uh, mob was appointed to guard you, to protect you. So definitely what it comes to, basically what it comes down to. Anyway, we're going to take a, uh, play a song real quick, do a reset, and we will be right back. Uh, continuing on with the judge in the Freedom Watch. I got a clip from Ronald Reagan. Uh, the judge mentioned how he liked Ronald Reagan, even though uh, Ronald Reagan uh, really didn't, he, he he did more talk than he did action, but uh, I also wanted to play uh, a clip that he played on his show, and he said it was still one of his favorite clips, so I wanted to play that. We'll be right black. Took a look down a westbound road Right away I made my choice Headed out to my big two-wheeler I was tired of my own voice Took a beat on the northern plains And just rolled that power on Twelve hours out of Mackinac City Stopped in a bar to have a brew Better girl, we had a few drinks and I told her what I decided to do. She looked out the window a long, long moment, then she looked into my eyes. She didn't have to say a thing. Great divide. I could go east, 
Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the founding fathers. Not too long ago. government asks that we concentrate our hopes and dreams on one man, that we trust him to do what's best for us. For my view of government places trust not in one person or one party, but in those values that transcend persons and parties. citizens are abused or attacked anywhere in the world on the direct orders of a hostile regime, we will respond. Terrorism is the preferred weapon of weak and evil men. And as Edmund Burke reminded us, in order for evil to succeed, it's only necessary that good men do nothing. I'll tell you where I stand. I do not favor a peacetime draft or registration, but... benefit levels that will attract and keep highly motivated men and women in our volunteer forces. I think we're foretelling our senior citizens that no one in this country should be denied medical care because of a lack of funds. But I think we're against forcing all citizens, regardless of need, into a compulsory government program. We're for a provision that destitution should not follow unemployment by reason of old age. And to that end, we've accepted Social Security as a step toward meeting the problem. But we're against those entrusted with this program when they practice deception regarding its fiscal shortcomings. When they charge that any criticism of the program means that we want to end payments to those people who depend on them for a livelihood. They've called it insurance. is not the sole answer to our energy needs. America must get to work producing more energy. Large amounts of oil and natural gas lay beneath our land and off our shores untouched because the present administration seems to believe the American people would rather see more regulation, more taxes, and more controls than more energy. Ours will be, we have to move ahead. But we're not going to leave anyone behind. I was trying to play a clip, but anyway, it eventually will play. April 5th, 1986. 
A bombing at a disco in what's then West Berlin kills an American soldier and a Turkish woman. The U.S. retaliates more than a week later with an air raid on Libya, narrowly missing its leader, Muammar Gaddafi. 1964. Old soldiers never die. They just fade away. General Douglas MacArthur dies in Washington at age 84. MacArthur led U.S. forces in the Pacific during World War II and the Korean War, also overseeing the occupation of Japan. 1856. Booker T. Washington, the African-American educator who founded the Tuskegee Institute, is born in Franklin County, Virginia. 1972. Reclusive billionaire Howard Hughes dies at age 72 while being flown from Acapulco, Mexico to Houston to seek medical treatment. 1984. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar becomes the highest scoring player in NBA history, a record which he holds to this day. And 2006. Sometimes I think change is a good thing. Katie Couric says she is leaving NBC's Today Show to become anchor of the CBS Evening News. She's the first woman hired to be the solo anchor of a network evening newscast. Today in History, April 5th, Mike Gracia, The Associated Press. While switching gears, a major announcement by Fox Business Network. They are dropping three of their primetime shows, including the show Freedom Watch, hosted by Judge Napolitano. Freedom Watch was one of the top-rated shows on Fox Business Channel, and so far there hasn't really been a reason given for the cancellation. And according to a Fox Press release, Freedom Watch will be replaced by re-airings of shows run earlier in the day. I want to talk more about this, but first let's take a look at a few clips of Judge Napolitano that will give you a peek of his show and his viewpoints. In what he has done and in what he will become, the Thomas Jefferson of our day, Ron Paul, is one of us. But Senators McCain and Levin have added this legislation which would authorize the president to declare the entire United States of America, all 50 states and all territories, to be a battlefield. The government of the United States shreds your rights every day. It taps our cell phones. It reads our emails. It kills people abroad with predator drones. It strip searches an 87-year-old grandmother in a wheelchair at an airport. All right, so not your typical Fox News principles here. Judge Napolitano talks about Occupy Wall Street, the National Defense Authorization Act. He's been consistently pro-Ron Paul and anti-war. We'll also talk more about what the cancellation of this show means in terms of the public discussion. Let's go to Wayne Allen Root, a libertarian and author. He wrote the book, The Conscience of a Libertarian, Empowering the Citizen Revolution with God, Guns, and Tax Cuts. All right, Wayne, this was a prominent show and a different show for Fox. For people who aren't familiar with it, uh, talk a little bit about what Judge Napolitano brought to the forefront of discussion on his show. Sure. Hi, Christine. It's great to hear from you. And, and I think it's important to note that it is Fox Business Network. It's not a political network, so they were taking a very big chance with a show like uh, Judge Napolitano's Freedom Watch. So it, it's not your typical show you'd find on CNBC or a business network, so it was unusual. And so, you know, they've decided to replace it with business programming, not just with any reruns, but reruns of earlier business programming. So that does make sense to some extent. I'm a very good friend of Judge Napolitano. I'm honored to say he's a buddy of mine, so I'm sad to see it go, and I wish they had kept it on longer. The show was certainly uh, eye-opening. It certainly was unusual. It certainly was different. There's nothing else like it on uh, any American TV, let alone Fox News in its libertarianism. Uh, libertarianism, of course, is fiscal conservatism and also socially liberal or moderate and, uh, and also for civil rights and individual rights and personal freedom and economic freedom. And really no other show quite touches on it the way Judge Napolitano did at Freedom Watch. So very sorry to see it go, but not, not necessarily uh, something you could be angry at Fox Business at because CNBC would never allow a show like that on in the first place. So let's give Fox credit for being willing to take a chance on a very out-of-the-box libertarian TV show in the first place. Well, they took a chance, and, you know, it's A, not CNBC, and B, it is Fox Business Network under the umbrella of Fox. They took a chance, and it wasn't necessarily a failure, um, and we don't have to point our fingers here just at Fox, but, but let's talk about libertarianism, as you say. 
how does the coverage of libertarianism and of, li of issues um, embodied by libertarians, um, you know, these issues aren't covered by MSNBC, CNN, or Fox. Why not? Right. Well, here's the thing. Let me say, in the last three years, I've been a guest about 75 times on Fox News and uh, maybe once or twice on CNBC, never on MSNBC, never on CNN, and now I'm a regular contributor to FoxNews.com. So you can't say Fox News is, is anti-libertarianism uh, or anti-libertarian or libertarian party. <clears throat> they certainly give us more coverage than any other network. That's not to say they're pro-libertarian. It's to say that uh, from time to time, they tend to have a little bit of a libertarian streak. And uh, I never attack my friends. I'd rather attack my enemies. So I try and be nice to Fox. But <clears throat> I will say this. Libertarianism has two problems if you want to sell it. I'm the most honest person about libertarianism in this country. I tell you the weaknesses. Number one is libertarianism is not pro-corporations or corporate welfare. And when you're not pro-corporate and a TV network or a radio network has to sell advertising to corporations, you wind up with problems, which is why perhaps Judge Napolitano's show is not on, probably the same reason Glenn Beck's show is no longer on Fox News. There's a real problem selling an anti-libertarian, uh, excuse me, an anti-corporate feeling on a network that has to take ads from corporations, and that's just a reality of life. But number two, libertarians, Christine, can make a change that sells libertarianism for number two. And the problem is, I don't know if you're a football fan, but Tim Tebow is the most exciting football player in America today. And after his last playoff victory, forget about football. It was a football victory, but 96 million people all over the world Googled John 316 his favorite biblical saying after he won that game. What makes Tim Tebow so special that he can sell religion while playing a football game? Enthusiasm, energy, passion. The Libertarian Party doesn't have a lot of spokesmen who have enthusiasm, who have energy, who speak on an emotional level to Americans instead of an intellectual level. They, and I think that's the big turnoff that's hurt the party well, as libertarianism for many years. I mean, they, that if we want to make it popular. They may not have a lot of enthusiastic spokespeople, but they certainly have one, and that's Ron Paul. I mean, Ron Paul, I, I've covered him for years now. I've been at his rallies. I've been at his speeches. There is no lack of enthusiasm there. And, and I mean, let's talk about Ron Paul. Judge Napolitano spoke about him often, spoke about him in a very favorable light. Um, that's probably, uh, you know, I know a lot of viewers who watched his show were also major Ron Paul supporters. They're going a buzz on Twitter today after hearing about the cancellation of his show. Um, so you, where will the next venue be? You know, as you say, the corporate media doesn't necessarily embrace uh, libertarianism. So where can the next venue be for people like yourself, like Ron Paul supporters who, who have no lack of enthusiasm, um, be for this kind of discussion? Well, first of all, I put an article out that Fox News was very willing and happy to publish, and millions of people saw it, and it was called uh, you know, The Ron Paul Phenomenon, Explaining and Understanding the Ron Paul Phenomenon. It was a lead story for almost an entire week at foxnews.com just a few days ago. So Fox News is an anti-Ron Paul. They've got him as a guest more than any other network. Uh, and what I said in that story is Fox, uh, uh, the brand of enthusiasm and passion that uh, Ron Paul brings and brings young people along with him has got to be embraced and accepted and not ignored or put down by the Republican Party, or they're not going to win the election. They can never beat Barack Obama. So I agree with you. Ron Paul brings an, an enthusiasm. I think what he lacks, though, is a bit of an excitement and youthful enthusiasm. I think that might be where Rand Paul comes in. I hope it's where I come in. You need young guys with enthusiasm, but Ron Paul brings a young audience, young kids, who are excited by fiscal conservatism and social moderation or liberalism, and that's got to be embraced by anyone who expects to be the next president of the United States. And where can they do it? Christine, I think it's got to be uh, on shows like this, on Internet TV shows just as much or more so than on regular TV shows that don't have corporate sponsorships. All right. It's going to have to be done in an out-of-the-box fashion. Certainly a lot of people disappointed uh, just in general because of the, you know, they liked him and also because they hope that this doesn't mean the status quo is what prevails in this society. Uh, always interesting, hear, interesting hearing from you, Wayne Allen Root, 2008 Libertarian Vice Presidential nominee and author. Well, there you have it. <laughs> excuses, excuses, uh, either way.
He's still the best of the best. In closing, it's Judge Andrew Napolitano. Participation in a process that validates an establishment that never meaningfully changes. What if that establishment doesn't want and doesn't have? the government work for us or do we work for the government? Tonight, what if the federal government routinely breaks the same laws it prosecutes other people for breaking? What if the first words of the Bill of Rights dealt with the separation of church and state? What if Jefferson fought his entire life to bring these principles to the government and hoped they'd never be interfered with? What if your right to believe as you wish and worship as you choose is a natural right that no government may interfere with? What if the government can no more lawfully compel a religious group to buy condoms than it, compel the group, than it can compel the group to worship the devil? What if the American people really know that we all have the right to be left alone and worship in the manner of our own choosing? What if the money of a religious organization belongs to it and not to the government? What if members of religious groups have the natural right to spend the group's money only on the things they believed in? What if that right was protected in the Constitution? What if the president and his progressive followers think there are too many people in America? What if the president secretly wants to decrease the population? What if the government doesn't care about natural rights and the Constitution it is legally committed to uphold? What if the president hates religion because it promotes human dignity and personal freedom, and he believes in neither? What if the president's recent assault on Catholicism is just the tip of an iceberg. What if the government ordered Catholics to eat meat on Fridays and Lent? What if it ordered Jews to eat pork, or Muslims to own dogs, or Protestants to genuflect? What if the president ran for office on a platform of human freedom and civil liberty, and he didn't believe in either? What if the president and his secretary of state publicly beat their breasts over the dismal state of human rights in China and Libya? And what if the president said he cared so much about Libyans' human rights, he had to bomb Libya in order to protect civilians? What if the president stands passively on the sidelines while the streets of Syria run with the blood of its civilians? What if the president refused to explain how he decides whom to help and whom to let die on the vine? What if the same president who condemns the government of Iran for incarcerating its citizens without trial claims that he can murder American citizens without trial? What if the president declared he could detain and kill any American without due process and he bombs foreign leaders for doing the same? What if the president pretended that he is an inheritor of the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., at whose hands no one died? What if the federal government persecuted all the people in China because its government called itself communist? What if everyone in the United States was forced to put up with a trade embargo on that country because of the label the government there gave itself? What if you couldn't travel to China or do business there or send any money to your family there because of what the word communist meant in the 1960s? What if the government thinks it has the right to tell you where to go? What if the country I'm really talking about wasn't China, but was Cuba? What if China presented a far greater threat to our freedom and safety than Cuba ever did? What if the government's trade and embargo policies are motivated by old animosities and prejudices rather than by freedom? What if it's none of the government's business where the goods you purchase were made? What if the government prosecuted American businessmen for bribing officials in foreign countries at the same time it was bribing officials in foreign countries to allow oil pipelines to be built and our soldiers to pass through? What if the federal government helped other countries lay oil pipelines but prevented them from being built here? What if you really do own your property and you could sell it to whomever you chose, even a Canadian oil company? What if, under the Constitution, the president has no say over what you can do with your property and no power to prevent you from selling it to whomever you want? What if the government bribed the poor with welfare and the middle class with tax breaks and the rich with subsidies? What if the government rigged elections so that no matter who wins, nothing changes? What if a presidential candidate offered positions of power to public officials without their knowledge? What if those public officials endorsed that candidate and then the media trotted out the endorsement as if it was something we should take seriously. What if the leading Republican candidate for president 
really agreed with President Obama more than he agreed with the folks who fought and won our revolution. What if that candidate, who argues against the right of the government to manage health care, secretly believes the government can manage health care? What if through all this hypocrisy, the American people could lift the veil from their eyes and do something about it? What if it's too late? From New York, the on behalf of the C. Robert Jones Conservative Primetime on this conservative hour, not conservative primetime, but on behalf of C. Robert Jones, this is Cool Mike in loving memory of Christopher Ramos, United States Marine. Good night. <laughs>